0: From APM, American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. Forty years ago, in most American public schools, smart kids took classes with other smart kids. In high school, some smart kids took advanced placement courses. Now, if students tested middle-of-the-pack, they were placed in sort of a middle-of-the-pack classroom. And for the kids who struggled, the classes moved more slowly. The practice was called academic tracking or sorting. By the 1980s and 90s, tracking was generally considered discriminatory. Critics said that poor children got left behind, especially poor children of color. In the 90s, most teachers in public schools were not sorting students by ability, at least not formally. Instead, they were combining students in diverse academic classes. That began to change again in 2002 with the federal No Child Left Behind law and its emphasis on student performance and high-stakes testing. A recent analysis by the Brookings Institution shows that academic sorting by ability appears to be making something of a comeback. This is particularly true for so-called gifted and talented students. The issue of academic sorting or tracking is controversial among educators. The author of the Brookings study says there isn't much research to prove tracking's effectiveness, but proponents say that ability grouping makes teachers more effective because they can tailor instruction to students who are all on the same level rather than having a classroom with a wide range of student capacities. A recent study suggests that the benefits of ability grouping outweigh the negative effects, one of the authors of that study is on the podcast this week. Courtney Collins is an assistant professor of economics at Rhodes College, and she joins me from her office in Memphis. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks. Good to be here.
0: So what led you to do this study? What What was the cha- the challenge or the problem that you were trying to understand?
1: The basic question was just how does sorting impact student performance, and, and more specifically does it benefit some students at the expense of others? And what'd you find out? Two different effects. So there's The tracking effect, which is what we talk about in the paper, and it's just the idea that when you group kids by ability, the distribution or or the range of kids within that class becomes more narrow. So as a teacher, it's easier to teach to a specific group of students. You're able to more easily target your teaching. And that should be beneficial whether you're teaching to a high-scoring class or a low-scoring class. The other consequence of sorting that we looked at was the peer effect, the idea that, that students are impacted by the quality of their peers this is great if you're a high-ability kid because you're in a classroom with other high-ability students. And if you're a low-ability kid, this means that you're now in a classroom with, with more low-performing students. So there was the potential that that could have a negative impact on the test scores. So we can't separate out the two effects. So we wanted to know just what's the net effect, what is it for the average student, and is it, is it different depending on um, whether the student is high-performing or low-performing. So the net effect for, for both types of student ended up being positive.
0: And it's beneficial both in the teaching effect and in the peer effect, because one of the ideas of getting away from sorting, uh, you know, several decades ago, is that students who are not performing as well benefit from being in the same group of students as kids who are performing better.
1: Right. So we can't. Separate out the two effects. Um, so we wanted to know just what's the net effect. Um, what is it for the average student, and is it is it different depending on whether the student is high performing or low performing? So the net effect for for both types of student ended up being positive.
0: You mentioned that uh, for the teacher, there's an there's a greater ease of being able to target students of a particular set of skills or abilities when students are sorted. What about the effectiveness of the instruction, though? I mean, it may be easier to do, but are are the teachers actually getting to kids and teaching and the kids are learning better across the sort of uh, ability spectrum?
1: So I guess we're not able to look at the actual channel of how the teaching is working. We're only able to look at changes in test scores of the actual students. But given that there are positive changes I mean, that would lead us to believe that that is actually effective, at least along the dimension of an increase in testing scores.
0: How uh, widespread is this at least sort of informal ability grouping that some researchers have described happening in America's classrooms? Do you have any idea?
1: We look at data from Dallas, Texas, and there's a pretty wide range, at least among that specific school district, in terms of how sorted or how tracked classes are. And we're also looking at just elementary school classes.
0: Does it seem to be that the increase in sorting, at least as you saw it, was something that was being done formally and explicitly, or was it something that was being done more informally? Because as you know, it has been a a bit of a controversial issue.
1: Right. My sense was that it was being done at both of those levels. So there were some schools that seemed to be sorting more informally where they didn't really advertise it. It wasn't really something that was known in the community. And then there were some schools that that really explicitly said, we think this is positive. We think that it's beneficial for our students. And it was something that that was very explicit. And they had students tracked into classes. And the students knew it. The parents knew it. Um, it was fairly obvious.
0: Now, as you know, your, your research was criticized for having some methodological problems. One being, according to the critics, that you didn't measure actual student academic growth, just performance on tests in consecutive years. What do you say to that?
1: The basic model that we look at does look at just regular test scores and how those change across time. But we run the model with both levels and with test score gains. So we do actually look at growth. And we actually find similar results, both for just the level test score and for growth across time.
0: I guess the bigger criticism really goes back to the idea that sorting students will exacerbate or contribute to the academic achievement gap. What do you think about that particular concern, and is it something that is rooted more in the peer effect than it is in the teacher effect?
1: That was sort of the impetus behind the whole question. We were worried that that some students would be gaining at the expense of others. But if it turns out that, that both groups are gaining, and that is what we see at least um, along the dimension of student test score, then... You know, just looking at the data, there doesn't seem to be much founded in that particular concern.
0: How robust is the research on, on this subject, especially in contemporary classrooms? Is is this something that needs a lot more study before one can suggest that sorting or tracking ought to be thought, rethought?
1: The literature goes back to, I guess, the early 90s, just trying to document how schools are sorting and what types of students are in what types of classes. The more recent literature looks at the actual effectiveness of sorting in terms of its causal impact on student testing scores. I think in terms of actual policymaking, and in terms of implementing policy in the classroom, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, each of these papers asks a very specific question. You know, we're we're looking at test scores specifically. We're looking at the impact one year, two years out. And as an administrator, as a policymaker, you would want to take each one of these studies for, for what they're worth and, and to look at the actual specific question that they're trying to answer and to recognize that that's just a piece uh, of the big picture. So in terms of actually implementing this as a policy, as someone who's an administrator within a school, you would want to recognize that that's just you know one small piece of, of the bigger question.
0: Well, how clear is the big picture at this point based on the research that's been done.
1: So most of the research that that I know about does look specifically at test scores. And at least the more recent papers within the economics literature, um, the economics of education literature, seems to say that tracking is beneficial across the spectrum. A lot of the papers that were done, I guess, uh, in the earlier 90s seem to suggest that that there was a possibility that lower-scoring kids were being hurt by this policy. But more recent papers that have sort of newer methodologies and look at different data sets are starting to see the the opposite conclusion, uh, which is consistent with what we find in our paper, that it is actually beneficial across the spectrum.
0: Was your paper able to say anything about the gains or losses in self-esteem and uh, aspiration or life achievement? among students who are in sorted as opposed to unsorted classrooms? Or is that yet to be studied?
1: So that's sort of outside the scope of our paper. So again, we look specifically at student testing scores. Like I said, that, that is one part of the picture, but it's certainly not the whole picture.
0: So based on what you have done and the other research literature, people who are actually doing the teaching, what, what should they take away from it and, and what should they think
1: about the bottom line of our paper is that students do benefit whether they're low-performing or high-performing. And so addressing that question, there is a concern that those lower scoring kids were hurting while the higher scoring kids were benefiting. So I think that, that that's the, the bottom line that we sort of want to get across. As a policymaker, you're, you're going to know a lot more about your school, you're going to know a lot more about your students and a lot more about your teachers to know how this specific conclusion might impact your school. And so I think in terms of how this is implemented within a specific school, that's going to depend on the makeup of kids within your school and the makeup of teachers. Thanks so much. Thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Courtney Collins is an assistant professor of economics at Rhodes College in Memphis. Professor Collins co-authored a study showing the benefits of sorting students by academic ability. You can find more podcasts about teaching styles and a range of issues in K-12 and higher education at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, browse our archive of more than 100 documentary projects and let us know what you think of our coverage. That's AmericanRadioWorks.org. You can like us on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and follow us on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Spencer Foundation, Lumina Foundation, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.